This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Our enemy, Satan. Satan is in the counterfeit business. Counterfeit truth, counterfeit religion, and now counterfeit DNA. In fact, counterfeit DNA has been around since the book of Genesis. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals the seed of Satan history and the future of counterfeit humanity because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. you caught me relaxing. Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Hey, tonight, Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals the seed of Satan history and the future of counterfeit humanity. That's right, counterfeit humanity. It's all about counterfeit truth, counterfeit religion, and now counterfeit DNA. We'll get more into that after we take a look at the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar, the calendar with the longest name in human history. It is the second Shabbat on the sixth month, which is also known as the month of Elul. Now, please welcome my co-host for this evening, the Chief Operating Officer of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Scott, thanks for being here. I am so excited to see what Doug Hamp says next about our enemy. This is an interesting series. If you've not watched the first episode, uh, go back and watch that uh, last week. Uh, and then this week we have a second uh, second episode. You can also get this, you can pre-order it on DVD. Yes. Uh, there's the information on the bottom of your screen, mm -hmm. DVD or Blu-ray. You can also get Doug's book. Uh, we want to bless him for, for coming here. Absolutely and, and right. So you can get this book, Corrupting the Image Part 2. Yes, there is a part one. They're both on Amazon. And the quick link to get to this on Amazon, uh, which is the best way to bless Doug's ministry, is to go to arudeawakening.tv slash corrupting. RudeAwakening.tv slash corrupting, and that will take you directly to Doug's Amazon page where you can get this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just fascinating material. And you know, we go back once again to saying that you have to know your enemy. You cannot live with your head in the sand, especially in these trying days and times. Right. The uncertainty that's happening in this world today, surely it's got to be an, uh, an omen of the end of days. Well, indeed, and, and then even the elect will be deceived. So just because you're Christian or even Hebrew roots, Messianic right. brothers and sisters don't necessarily see anything going on, they say, ah, you're just imagining stuff. Quit making stuff out of nothing. If, you, if you're sensing something by the Spirit, chances are you're on the right track. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it, For those who are uh, not in the majority, if you're in the minority, I usually say, if you're doing something else that someone, no one else is doing, you're probably on the right track. Right. So, and, and you know, Michael Rood was on the right track oh, yeah. for the past 40 years when he wrote the Chronological Gospels. And he did something that no one else did. He, Yeah, he wrote the Chronological Gospels. And what's so great about the Chronological Gospels? Big deal. There's other Bibles that have things in order. Not to this degree, number one. Number two, no one has the insight that Michael Rood does because he has friends on the Christian side, the Hebrew side. He lived in Israel for what, a decade and a half, if yeah. not two decades on and off. So he really knows the culture, the land, where Yeshua lived, how the people today 
uh, in Israel relate to the Pharisees of the past. So he got this right. real kind of uh, timeless view of the Bible, and that's how he was able to uh, write all the special notes that Absolutely. make the chronological gospel special. And it's written from a Messianic perspective, a Hebrew roots yeah. perspective, which is really unheard of this day and time, ladies and gentlemen, and we're just so honored to be part of this 40-year work. Mm -hmm. Now, I, speaking of 40-year work, so how many people actually know that you know Yeshua's ministry was 70 weeks? That's, that's the first thing. shocker that yeah. you get a lot of people. I thought yeah. it was three and a half years. Nope, that's all a myth, look it up. There's no evidence for it. There's a ton of evidence for being 70 weeks. All of the original church fathers said that it, Yeshua's ministry was about a year, and that's just about right. It's 70 weeks from the baptism of Yeshua in the Jordan to yes. the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the, uh, with the disciples in Acts. And at week 30, yes. um, one of these special notes that I always talk about here in the Chronological Gospels, which makes this book so special, uh, is event number 99. That happened this week in history. So here's what was happening in the middle of summer mm. uh, at, at the 30th week, the halfway mark, if you will, of Yeshua's that ministry. ministry yes. um, Herod was just hearing of this Yeshua character. After 30, 30 weeks, weeks, he was he was beginning, so it says, interesting here, um, Herod hears of Yeshua's miracles after after John was executed. So this is after he had heard about some radicals out there. He, yes. he thought John was it. He thought mm. John was a threat to his throne. So off with his head, especially after John cornered him with, with what he was doing marriage-wise. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, but, but the following account of Yoko, uh, Yochanan's execution is the, uh, is the only event recorded in weeks 28 to 30, says Michael, about uh, what was happening at this time. Sometimes there's no record of what was happening. Right, but, right. but this is the time that, uh, that Herod was first hearing about Yeshua. So he was like, oh, maybe, maybe John wasn't it. Maybe that's a Yeshua well, wait a guy. Maybe, maybe I've been afraid of the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. And that's that goes right to back about. to when, remember when John and, and Yeshua were first, when they were babies. Yeah. Originally, Herod thought that John was the threat to his throne, and that's why he ordered all the babies be killed. Right. He didn't know about Yeshua. He right. knew about John and about his father being in the temple and all that connection, thought, aha, here's my threat, and went after John. And you know, this is made so clear, ladies and gentlemen, in the chronological gospels, because you have all the accounts right there in one passage so that you can read them all without having to flip back and forth between this, this author and this author and this author and this author. You have all of it put right there. And ladies and gentlemen, I just wanna say a big thank you to Michael Rood. Michael creating this ministry, A Rood Awakening, it has blessed so many thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And we just, we just wanna say, you know, Michael watches every single Shabbat Night Live. And we just wanna say a special thank you to Michael for doing this. We love you. We look forward to your quick return, uh, Michael, with, uh, this, with all the therapies and so forth that are happening with you. And we just know that we're here to bless you just like you have blessed us. Indeed. Well, why don't we pray for Let's do. Ted, uh, for, uh, for, Michael. for Michael. Why don't we do that? Let's yeah. do that. Let's okay. pray for Michael. Would you pray with us? All right. Jehovah, thank you for Michael. Thank yes. you for all the things he's done for, for Ted and I, for the whole yes. crew here, for everyone in Rude Awakening and all Absolutely. the years of ministry that he has put in. He has definitely been your servant, Father. Yes, and uh, Father. this is just a blip in the road for him. He's had lots of little uh, health issues, but we know that you are gonna bring him through just like you yes. always have. And he is working hard. We see the progress. We see you yes, working. Father in God. his life, Hallelujah. even through this difficult season. Yes. And Father, I thank you that you've given just a, a, 
a persistence with Michael, that he's willing yes. to work every day and improve every day. He is not giving up. And Father, I would pray that you would lift him up. I know that I echo the voices of everyone watching this right now, yes, that we Father all God. pray, Father, that you would just yes. lift him up. Hallelujah. Let us see a miracle. Let him come yes. back to the stage and preach again like he's never preached before, because these are important times, as Douglas Hamp is gonna bring to this, uh, this stage yes. today. Father, we need Michael to come back and echo that statement and, yes. and put an exclamation mark on that statement. Yes. And so we thank you in advance for his healing that we know you will do in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you for praying with us. Excellent. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, without a test, you don't have a testimony. And it's important to know that Michael is going to come back. And when he does, he is going to have one big kind of testimony to talk about. Andy, the biggest I think I'll ever see. That's, That's right. That's wonderful. That's right. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. So Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals the seed of Satan history. That's tonight. And the future of counterfeit humanity. Yes, it's the second episode of Satan, the ancient enemy. But first, get out your bread and wine for the kiddish with Michael. Stay tuned. What is it about being human that makes us so prideful? Where does it come from? Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals man's deception of pride that has been building since the Tower of Babel and how to escape the final deception, the image of the beast. I really see that the, the image of the beast is going to be where you're not only transformed genetically, biologically, but now your mind is part of a hive network. From transgenderism to transhumanism, Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals how man's arrogance challenges Yehovah's perfection and leads to destruction. But the only way to watch this special teaching is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Image of the Beast on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you the image of the beast, plus a ram's horn shofar, the original call to worship in ancient Israel. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you the image of the beast, the ram's horn shofar, and a beautiful parchment scroll printed with Isaiah 53, complete with a handsome carrying case. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends August 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. When Yeshua fed the 5,000 with leavened barley loaves in the Galilee, the Pharisees came down on him because they accused him that he and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate bread. They did not wash their hands with a negel vesser and say this prayer, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. Why didn't Yeshua do that? Why didn't his disciples follow that? Because it is takanot. It is a law which they invented, and Moses said no one is ever allowed to add to or subtract from. But 
the night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he put in place a rehearsal that was really put in place by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself brought forth bread and wine to Abraham and Yeshua interpreted that very thing. Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam hamotzi lechem miharetz. This is what Yeshua put in place, that before we eat bread, that we say this prayer. And as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him because his broken body was broken for us and by his stripes we were healed. So as often as we do this, as often we do it in remembrance of him. And Yeshua took the cup and he said, Marukata Yehovah Elohim Malakalam, Berei Pri Hagafen. The creator of the fruit of the vine, Yehovah created the fruit of the vine. He said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this, remember me and remember I will be drinking this with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Shabbat Shalom. My wife and I have a saying that says, Yehovah makes cool stuff. I mean, we look around in the world and we see all these beautiful things that Yehovah made. Yehovah makes everything beautiful. Even he made Satan beautiful back in the beginning. We hear in the Bible of, or read in the Bible, of this beautiful creature that was in heaven and one of the most revered creatures ever made or beings ever made. And then the fall. What? happened here. Someone who can explain this for us is the author of Corrupting the Image 1 and 2, Dr. Douglas Hamp. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for having me. So now explain this to us. Uh, you know, First of all, let's get into who Satan was created to be. He was uh, this glorious uh, being or, or a ruler, a ruler or a, uh, someone put in a very high position in, right. in, in the heavens. Uh, where do we learn more about this in the Bible, and are there extraneous sources? Uh, you know, how can we create this picture of, of who Satan was supposed to be? Absolutely, so in Ezekiel chapter 28 is where we find the answer to this question. And you know, God has some pretty amazing uh, terminology when he, he uses. He says, speaking of Satan, or Melkart as we spoke of, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Wow. I, that doesn't wait. sound like the God of death to me. I know, what happened, right? The seal of perfection, like you can't get more perfect, right? Perfect is yeah. perfect and he was perfect, right? You can't improve upon perfect and he was it. He was full of wisdom, not like 98%, not 99%, hmm. but 100% full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. And then it says he was perfect in beauty. That one astounds me. I'm like, wait, isn't God perfect in beauty? And here, God made a being that was perfect in beauty. All right, so, you know, long story short, Satan thinks he's a pretty amazing guy, okay? And he was, he really was. But 
And I talked about in our last session how he did not want to kind of be uh, in, that, in that place of being a servant. He wanted to be the top dog. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't want to be just the chief steward. He wanted to be the guy absolutely in control that everybody should worship. So it says in Ezekiel 28, it's really interesting uh, language here. It says, you were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And he says, uh, your heart was lifted up, you were corrupted. And he says, therefore, I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth. Hmm. Which, like, okay, what's he saying? He caused the fire to come out from within him. In Ezekiel chapter one, they talk about the other cherubim that we see. And they're these fiery beings, right? So they have this fire. So Satan had that same fiery expression, if you will. And what I would liken it to is that God and Satan are, are plugged in. There's an electrical cable going between them. And you know, Satan is glorious and amazing and all this you know, pizzazz that he has and sparkle. And he's like, I'm really amazing, right? But that's because he's plugged into God. God is the power source. Mm. And the moment that he thought he could do it alone and he rebelled against his creator, God said, okay, you wanna go it alone? You can, I'm gonna pull the plug, right? And that's when he says, I caused the fire to come out from within you. Ah, right? Okay. So he went from being you know, plugged into the source to now he's running on batteries. Right, uh-huh. okay, and you know we all have cell phones and computers, and they'll go for so many hours. But eventually, you've got to plug the thing in, mm-hmm. and and that's essentially what happened to Satan: is that he went from being plugged in, all of this glorious uh, beauty, etc., to then unplugged, and he kind of is like now a shriveled up raisin, right? And and that's what happened. And so then, um, <clears throat> the way I perceive it is that when he went into the garden. He was still glorious, he was still wonderful. He had not yet fallen, but that motive of sin was in his heart. But unlike the movie Minority Report, where you can get arrested for a future crime, <laughs> in, in God's kingdom, you have to commit the crime, right? It's not enough to think about the crime, it's not enough to premeditate the crime, but you've gotta commit the crime. So when Satan goes into the Garden of Eden, he goes in as God's glorious, wonderful, chief steward, and Adam and Eve are thinking, well, we know who this guy is, right? He works for God, he's on our team, and he looks all that, but in his heart is evil intent. And so then he gets them, of course, to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's when death hits them, and then God comes along and says, okay, what's going on here? And he says, well, I didn't do anything, right? These two transgressed your word, but God's you know, basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, right? I know what you did, <laughs> and I'm gonna get you. <laughs> you know, it's kinda like the, the mob boss, right? Like, they're really, they're clever. They know how to get around the system and play it, right? And so you get them on tax evasion, right? So that's kind of the same thing here. God's like, I know what you did, and technically you didn't do anything because it was Adam and Eve that killed themselves. Yep. But you're still behind it. And mm-hmm. so now it's gonna be war between us. I'm gonna cause enmity between your seed and her seed, right? And he's gonna crush your head and you will uh, bite his heel. Yeah. That example that you gave of Yehovah and Satan being connected and then Satan wants to go out alone, okay, fine, see you later, now you're on batteries. 
So now it makes sense to me that if someone is following Yehovah, they are connected now to God. And that is a very attractive power source for Satan. Is that why those who believe are most at risk and must really guard themselves against Satan because he's looking to feed off of them? and to source his batteries. Is that, is that yeah. kind of where we're going with this? Well, it, it, again, uh, when, we, when we start digging into some of the, the terrible things that happen within the world of Satanism and demonic activity, uh, sometimes when, uh, so one of the, the, let's put it this way, uh, they're looking for a, the most innocent victim that they can find. And then they want to inflict trauma on this victim because it charges that energy source. Mm. It's, it's terrible and dark stuff, but, but these are the reports that we hear uh, from some reputable sources that uh, this is what's happening. So Satan is looking for a power source, right? So sadly, young children who are, of course, very innocent. I would even suggest that things like abortion, mm. right? You can't get more innocent than that, right? The, the sacrificing of the, the aborted baby, that's, that's part of it. But it's, but it's not only that, I think it, it would include things like suicide, things like war, murder, right? All of this is providing energy mm. for him. Uh, and insofar as he's getting us to, to trip up and to be like that, it, it may or may not, I'm not sure entirely if that's providing power for him, but I think it's at least plausible that it could be. That's interesting. Is it that it almost seems like something out of a movie where Satan needs power from man. As someone might ask, that's ridiculous. Why does Satan need power from us? But we've, we've kind of already answered that question. He was plugged into Yehovah, but now he is separate from right. Yehovah. And he really is powerless unless he can trick us who are connected to him right. to give him power. Is that it? I, I think a lot of movies hint upon this. And sometimes they're just outright like, here you go. I mean, when you, if you watch The Matrix, you know, robots or whatever have taken over the planet and they need people as, as living batteries. Like that's mm. the basic premise of the movie. And I think that's essentially what we're looking at is that Satan got unplugged from the power source. He is of a spiritual nature, therefore he needs some kind of a spiritual power source. And the blood is the thing that, that crosses over. That's the bridge between just pure physical and mm -hmm. spiritual. That's why the blood can provide atonement, mm. right? The blood has this incredible power. The life is in the blood. You know, even things like the altar had to be atoned for, right? And the altar didn't do anything wrong. I, I guarantee right. it, right? It's just a slab of stone. But because God is going to show up and his power is gonna be manifest, that piece of stone needs to have some kind of a covering. And the blood sacrifice in, in the godly context, is providing that, that, that uh, atonement, that covering. That's what the word atonement means, it's just it's, it's covering, hmm. right? But Satan then took it and perverted it so that he would be able to have lunch off of this thing. And I call it batteries are us. I mean, he, he basically <laughs> wants to suck our juice. <laughs> wow. You know, and even Peter says, you know, beware of your adversary, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour, devour. right? Eat, right? Yeah. He wants to eat us. I don't know about physically, maybe, but he wants our blood. He wants that life essence that we have mm. to then power his, of course, his stuff. If our viewers are thinking like I am, hey, this kind of sounds like Dracula. That darkness, yes. death, 
sucking blood, all this type of thing yes. is all connected. It's, it's all connected. That's what's, that's what's so amazing is, so when you start seeing the theme of death, just think this is Satan. Mm-hmm. And he's got variations on a theme, but it all goes back to the same core. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we have to understand. It goes back to the same core. And, you know, and I talk about in the book how you know, with, with the Nephilim, I think this is one of the things that he was trying to accomplish is, you know, what's interesting, it got, Jesus talks about how a, a demon is in this, when it's not in a body, he's in this place of discomfort and he really wants to have a body. And I would suggest that Satan and all who followed him were uncomfortable, right? It was not pleasant to be outside of a body and to be shriveled up and mm-hmm. <laughs> without a power source. So what if you could create your own avatar? You know, if you saw the movie Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. You, they create this alien body and then a human is able to funnel his life essence, or whatever it is, into this avatar. And I would suggest that's what he was trying to do with the Nephilim, is that he wanted to create some kind of a biosuit uh, mm-hmm. so that he okay. could, he and his his cronies could then inhabit these and they could have their very own body to have and to hold and not have to share it with somebody. You know, I mean, if you're a, if you're a fallen angel and you are looking for a body, well, you know, so-and-so has one, but it belongs to him, right? Judas, right? Judas uh, was possessed by Satan. But it still, it belonged to, to Judas, not to Satan, right? Mm. The body belonged to, to Judas. But what if, you, what if Satan could make his own uh, experiment, you know, his own system where he could have these biosuits. And that's what I think we have with the Nephilim, ultimately. So now, just to be clear, Satan did not create the Nephilim. Were the, were the Nephilim still created by God, or these big people? Or what, right. what, where are we going with that? Okay, so, so Nephilim, we, we go back to Genesis chapter 6. Mm-hmm. It says that... Um, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were, were beautiful and they took any of the they chose as wives. And then they, they um, through this union, they, pro, they procreated the, the Nephilim, the Nephilim, okay? Which is often translated as the giants, right? So it was through the union of these two beings that these little biosuits come out. I call them biosuits, but <laughs> but Nephilim, right? So, and my my, argue, my argument is that the Nephilim did not have their own soul. Oh, but okay. they had they were just an empty, empty slate, an avatar waiting to be possessed by a demon, like an animal, like it doesn't have its own, or or something well, like something other than human, like an right. avatar. <laughs> okay, like an yeah. avatar. All right, yeah, very good. You, you know, it's it sort of brings out the whole. Uh, the, the movies lately about zombies. Right. You know, it, it seems to me that people create these, these movies and people say, oh, this has nothing to do with reality. But really, I think Yehovah is allowing these people to have these ideas to bring forth a warning. Yes. That he knows that they're not gonna listen to the Bible. So he's gonna go through their avenue, Hollywood. Right. To sort of bring out the truth and subtly, t- subtly tell them, hey, you guys, this is real, this isn't just fiction. Watch carefully, you love these movies, great, because this is the plan, this is what's gonna happen. Right. And you're gonna have all these soulless beings around trying to devour, they're obviously from the dark side, trying to feed off the good people of the world, Right. and there's going to be some kind of battle. 
Exactly. And I'm actually writing Corrupting the Edge Volume 3. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, I'll be, I didn't bringing, know going I'll be bringing zombies <laughs> into it. <laughs> yeah. Really? Wow. You know, what's crazy is people say, oh, the Bible, it doesn't talk about any of this stuff, but it does, right? Mm -hmm. If you, I don't know if you've ever been in a room, like I, I've painted a few rooms at home and I thought I did a pretty good job, you know, but then as I just keep looking at it over the months and years, I'm like, I did a really bad job painting this room. <laughs> you know, because as I, as I examine it, closer and, and for more time, I begin to see the imperfections, et cetera. Mm. And anytime you start, you keep looking at a, a book of literature like the Bible, you keep seeing more things, right? So mm. it's just taking a deeper look at what is there. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible and we can easily gloss over and say, well, that's interesting, but I have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. But when you start really you know, drilling into that topic, you begin to see, oh, this, this is in the Bible? Like, yeah. how, how did giants get in the Bible? But it's there, there's no denying that it's in the Bible. So you have a couple options. One, you can ignore it, pretend it's not there. One, you can just kind of allegorize it all away. Say, well, yeah, it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. Or you can say, it does say that, and there's every reason to believe that it says what it means, it means what it says, but now I need to understand what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And so then we go back and we begin to look throughout the ancient world for clues that can help us potentially interpret that. And so we look for things of archeology, span we look for language, uh, we look for you know, similar themes and say, huh, okay, that's interesting. Maybe this is talking about that. And that's how we really start to piece these things together. So when we do that, I guess we, uh, we have to go right back to basics and saying what, uh, what we're looking at. Uh, for example, the, the zombie thing. So, all right, this may, the Bible may not mention zombies, but it kind of sort of does, and there's sort of hints of that there, and maybe it's a representation of what is coming. Do we need to just sort of say, what, what I'm looking at is a good or evil? Yes. And now I can just sort of go on that plane and start investigating, and I'll find the answer, because there's only two ways this can go. Well, you know, God said, I set before you life and death, right? And we, we've talked about how Satan's, like one of his major names is death. We're, we're, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but death is who he is. That's what he represents. That's all he has to offer. And we see this throughout the world, right? We talk about Chichen Itza. Mm -hmm. Like, death is the main thing. And that's his, that's his MO, is death, okay? Mm -hmm. But God wants to give us life. So, you know, kind of fast forward to the end times when we talk about zombies, I make the argument, and I really bring this, I bring at least the, the introduction of that argument in Corrupting the Image, Volume 1, where uh, Satan uh, has been trying to corrupt the DNA of humanity, mm. right? And Well, this brings out something very recent <laughs> that we won't talk about, doesn't it? But keep going. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, he, he's trying to corrupt our DNA. And, and so, you know, why, right? Why would he do these things? Because he knows that there is this prophecy of doom hanging over his head. Mm. I will cause enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your, you, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. Who, who, when he says your seed, who could he possibly be talking about? Mm. He's talking to Satan and he says Satan has seed. Like, wait. Do, does Satan have seed? Well, what is a seed? Seed is just DNA. When you start looking at it, DNA is, is made up of nucleic acids, right? We have 
A, G, T, and C, if I got my letters right. Um, <laughs> hope I did. Uh, but you know, those are those are nucleic acids. But there's a code. There's information in that. It's not just nucleic acids. It's information at the heart of a seed. So Satan has information. And guess what? Mm. Information is a non-material entity. Oh, okay. Mm. That's like the spiritual realm, right? It's not physical. It's not material in the sense of what we have on planet Earth, but it's still real. Mm-hmm. And, and so it can be communicated. And we understand that because we send emails to one another. We get things wirelessly. We have information surrounding us, but it's not tangible, right? But it's real. Mm-hmm. And, and that's essentially what Satan has been trying to do is to corrupt that. That's why I called it corrupting the image, is that he's trying to essentially recreate what God created in his image. He's trying to create it in Satan's image. Mm, that's the counterfeit, as we talked about last week. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and so zombies, yeah, they won't be called zombies. But if you look at Revelation 16, I mean, it talks about the people that have taken the mark and how it's gonna be really lousy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gonna have just like, their flesh is gonna be falling apart and it's really nasty. Well, <laughs> and even just the, the mental nature of what we see as a fictional zombie. Right. As they don't think for themselves, they're just following the masses, yes. following their master, right. so to speak, right. Right. and wandering aimlessly to destroy what is good. Yes. And that is where we're heading in this world, is that yes. everyone is just following the leader without asking questions, not thinking for themselves, and going after anything that has to do with God or anything that's good, the Bible, it is all evil is good and good is evil. Yes. Well, in volume three, I'm gonna talk about the hive mind. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's going to be the, uh, the basic uh, image of the beast. And that'll be the hive mind. So you, mm. you kind of become part of the, the Borg if you've ever watched Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you well, the, the same kind of thing, like a, like a zombie, a Borg. Yeah, exactly. a, a, yeah. a, a slave to yeah. a master for yeah. evil yeah. purposes. Yeah, and yeah. I, I suggest that the mark of the beast is a genetic transformation. Mm, interesting. You know, it's, it's funny you mention that. We'll, and then we'll do a break and come back. But uh, it, how, some people might say, well, how can the spiritual be physical, what you're saying with the DNA? But it's a completely true because I can tell you from just a naturopathic perspective that the health of your physical brain actually affects your moods and yes. your, your emotions. So how can your emotions, which are intangible like a spirit, be affected by your phys- physicality? And it's completely plausible. So, uh, all right, so that is confirmation there. So we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Douglas Hamp. If you are enjoying uh, what he is teaching here, please get his book, Corrupting the Image, Part Two, on Amazon. And uh, thank you for donating to this ministry. You have brought Dr. Douglas Hamp to be with us here today. And if you'd like to give this uh, to this ministry today, we're going to give you a couple minutes to do that. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for supporting the program because you have brought Dr. Douglas Hamp to us. And uh, Dr. Doug, during the break, uh, you gave me a look as if you wanted to add something to what (laughs) I just said there about the the brain, the health of the brain affecting the emotions which are intangible. Uh, Go on that, what were you gonna say? Okay, well, so it's really interesting that a cell, right, has all these little antenna on it. And it's constantly scanning both for electrical signals and chemical signals Mm -hmm. to basically see, you know, are things good, are things bad, right? So imagine a zebra is just munching on its grass and then a lion shows up, right? So the cells in the the zebra 
were in a happy state, right? And they were taking the grass and turning it into different things and nutrients were coming into the cell. Mm -hmm. The moment the lion shows up, it's suddenly red alert, we've got to go. And what happens is these little doors that are allowing information and uh, nutrients into the inner part of the cell, they actually close up because the signal said, life is bad, mm. we've gotta go now, right? So all of the, 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 the processes, not all, but m many of the processes of the cell stop for a moment so that they can get out of there. Mm. The fight or flight. The fight or flight, exactly. So what you were talking about how, you know, the things that we believe to be true, it doesn't matter if they're true or not, but we perceive something to be the situation that will then directly affect how our cells operate mm. and that will affect our health. You know, so there's something really amazing about that. And I, I see that as being a very important part when it comes to the mark of the beast because it talks about if anybody takes the mark of the beast, worships the image and, um, and worships the beast, right? So worship is a huge part of that. And worshiping means that I agree with this. I'm endorsing this. I'm all for this concept of the beast. Mm -hmm. And to so if you don't worship it, then, well, there's another story there, but <laughs> but that's a huge part of it. And, and that's why, you know, we need to keep our minds focused on God. We need to think about mm -hmm. what is good and true and noble and just and not to be thinking about the, the evil negative stuff that Satan would try to get us to think about because it really does affect us in more ways than one. Indeed, the, the physicality of what you talked about there with the cells and all that, that is, uh, you know, we won't get into it, but there's there's something going on with children and fear like you talked about in the last uh, episode. And there's something very, very dark going on in this world with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they're harnessing this yes. concept right. uh, for their own evil gain. And that's just a very unfortunate thing. But let's go on to uh, the Herman, Herman Batios inscription. What, what is this all about? This is in chapter eight of, of your new book. What's, yes. what's this? At right. Satan's command. Okay, so uh, we talked about how in the book of Enoch, it talks about there were 200 angels led by Samyaza that came down in the days of Noah. And they're the ones that took an oath that they were going to go into the daughters of men and have this Nephilim race thing, okay? So it, it's all very interesting. But it seems rather disconnected from Satan, right? Isn't he the guy in charge? He's the guy at the top who's doing all this, right? Mm -hmm. Well, an inscription was found on top of that mountain. Uh, the inscription itself is uh, dated somewhere between 300 BC to about 300 AD. It's written in Greek. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I kept coming about, you know, hearing about this inscription. And uh, the, the apparent translation, as it came to me in English, was, according to the command of the great and holy God, those taking an oath proceed from here. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But why would he be called holy, right? If it's yeah. talking about Satan or somebody, why would it be talking about a holy God? So I was able to go to the British Museum website, and I found the inscription for myself. Mm. And <clears throat> um, so I was looking at it, and I'm like, wait, the, the Greek doesn't say what they're claiming. It doesn't say and holy. Hmm. And so I found two words in there that were really baffling me. And one of them I, I figured out was a, a, a prefix for, for ox or bull, uh, was the word bo. But then the other one was this word uh, batu in the text. 
And um, Charles Warren, who originally found this inscription, uh, he suggested that it was the word hagios, which is holy. Mm. And then uh, uh, George Nicholsberg, who's an excellent scholar out of uh, Harvard, he had the same translation. And as I went back and I was looking at it for myself, I, I thought, it just doesn't say that. It says batiu or, or batios in the nominative. And I looked and looked and looked to see where is this word coming from? It just was nowhere to be found. It was in hmm. no lexicon. There was no literature about it. Hmm. I'm like, this is really strange. It was, it's this big mystery. And, but then I found the word in this random little inscription from southern Italy. It had been found in a cave in, in a culture known as Mesapia or Mesapian culture, and, um, which is from the 8th century BC till about the 3rd century BC. And I thought, wait, why is this same word being found in this, this grotto, in this cave? And again, to make a long story short, I discovered that the people that had brought it there were Phoenician sailors. Okay. And I'm like, wait a second, Phoenician sailors, in their backyard is Mount Hermon, okay? Mm. And I should just add that the word Hermon, it, it's from the word Hermon, which means to create an oath or to, to take some kind of a, a implicate, imp, to, um, what's the word? Um, to curse yourself if you don't do something, okay? So the angels are saying, if we don't do such and such, may a curse come upon us. And that's where we get the word Hermon. Ah, All right, okay. so, so this inscription with this word, it appears in this grotto in southern Italy, and it's associated with the word Zeus. So it's Zeus Batios. Hmm. All right, so, I, so I, basically I traced it back to Sumerian, and I thought this is really strange. So I, I reached out to a, a Sumerian scholar just to double check, you know? <laughs> I'm like, do you think it's possible? Because the word is the word bad or bat. And bad or bat, and I have it in the book, I, I talk about this. Um, this is in the introduction section, right? This is yeah. what you were showing me before we turned the cameras on. Exactly, okay. right. Yeah, so, so that inscription, uh, it's, it's dinger bad or idim, right? And so this, it's basically a little Sumerian logogram symbol with these two little, I don't know, cuneiform symbols that are kind of pointing at each other. And that means bad, okay, mm. and, but why would, anyway, <laughs> I don't want to lose people in, in all, the, all the details. So but this is on page, just so we know, so if people get your book, it's, yeah. it's on the Roman, page, Roman numerals, page 26 in the preface. Right, okay. exactly. So anyway, I found that that logogram had been transliterated, and uh, I found some other evidence that would demonstrate that that's possible. But that's an ancient name. That the word bad. It's really quite ironic that it's bad, right? <laughs> God, God's humor here. Somewhere. I, I know. Yeah. I'm like that's it's just pretty weird, you know. <laughs> but so, but that word was a symbol for Satan, for Enlil, mm. and we see that that same symbol was used for Dagon. It was used for Martu, mm. right? And so there was that that conscious syncretism that the ancient scribes understood that they were talking about all the same God by using the same symbol huh. to describe these various gods. So Dagon and Enlil, are those different gods, right? No, they're the same one. And the ancient scribes understood that they were talking about one and the same God. Hmm. Just, you know, over here they call him Dagon, over here they call him Enlil. That's the same dude. And so that symbol 
prove that we're talking about the same one. And then that was then transliterated into Greek, and the, the people that wrote that inscription used that symbol. They made it then kind of a, put a little Greek ending on it. Mm-hmm. And so they're talking about the God of death. And the word itself means death, right? It's also related to King Og of Bashan uh, in book three. I won't reveal it yet, <laughs> but... <laughs> But there's another, uh, another person named Death, who is Satan, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a major player huh. uh, in the end times. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, sir. Keep going. Yeah. So anyway, so, so this, this word bad is in this inscription. And what it does is it proves that it wasn't the great and holy God that gave this command, but it was according to the God Batios. It was according, and, and he has this epithet of ox, so we see that uh, Satan is also represented as an ox or a bull. Many times the god Molech mm. was represented as a bull, right? So it completely fits mm. uh, all these different uh, images and epithets that we have. It represents who Satan was. And he is the one who gave the command for those angels to come down and to create or to procreate the Nephilim. Mm. Interesting. You know, just the ox, you brought that up. And if anyone, I know lots of our viewers uh, study ancient Hebrew uh, and even Paleo-Hebrew. And before Hebrew had its current form, of course, it was like pictogram type of things. And of course, the Aleph was a bull. Right. And so here we have that counterfeit, equal and opposite, Satan trying to sneak in and put his own twist on that which Yahovah has created as holy. Right. And he's trying to say, oh, it's the same thing. Right. But it's not. Well, I think we, you know, there's really there's four faces of Satan, right? There, we see that a cherub had four faces, that of a, a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. And we see these represented. Even the Anzu bird that we were talking about uh, before, and it's this is in the book on page 26. Okay. Uh, just... <laughs> Maybe they can put that on the screen there. Yeah, we'll but, have this. Yep, for but, sure. But that is both a lion and an eagle, right? Yeah, <laughs> and talons are, on the feet. Right. And, yeah. These are these are two of the the primary descriptions of what a cherub was, right? And of course, we see that he's also an ox and he's a man, mm. right? So Satan is the embodiment of all these different things, and sometimes he emphasizes this part, and sometimes he emphasizes that part, but they all come back to him. And he is, again, he's known as death. Like that is just the epitome of what his name means, which ironically is bad in English. Yeah. And I don't know if they're related, but. Well, you know what's funny is, again, here's, I think, Yehovah's humor a little bit to just sort of say, I'm still in control. (laughs) Y'all just play your game. But, you know, with with Hebrew, uh, the Egyptian god, Ra, means bad. It means the opposite of good in Hebrew. Exactly. Ra just means, yeah, right. Egyptian god Ra means right. bad, awful yeah. in, in, uh, yeah. in Hebrew. Exactly. But I, I see on here on the, on the image on page 26, it says the monuments of Nineveh. So this is all related to Nineveh, Babylon, all these ancient places. Are, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, they, they all go back. And, wow. you know, so then after the flood, then he raises up Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then Nimrod is going to then be the, the post flood. Nephilim or hybrid, if you will. Okay. Right. And even though, so, so a Nimrod now is a, so you, we might say, okay, well, Satan is a being and then, you know, it's, it's, he's not human, but Nimrod was definitely human. Yes, so absolutely. Is this a 
possession of Nimrod? I, how does this connection work? I mean, what? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know if we want to get into it in, in, in this show today, but, uh, you know, because that's a whole other story, right? Okay. <laughs> but, but basically what happened, so before the flood, Satan sends these angels to go create the Nephilim. Obviously, we know that all failed, right? Yeah. But he came super close. Do you realize how, how close he was? Only eight people mm. made it out alive. You're like, well, that's pretty good. That's like a 99.9% <laughs> success rate. You certainly, he still failed in the end. Yeah. But he was close. Mm. You know, he, he's coming this close. And we see this kind of a close encounter with Satan almost winning. We see this throughout history. Mm. But thankfully, God is powerful. He's all-knowing. God's not sweating it, obviously. We might, but he mm -hmm. never sweats it. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. And so he, he killed all of those, those avatars, all of those Nephilim in the flood. And so then after the flood, Satan comes up with a new strategy, and that's going to focus on the person of Nimrod. And it's going to be similar, but it's going to be different in, in various aspects. Okay. I want to dive back into your first book, if we could, just for a second. We didn't yeah. plan on doing this, but I'm sure you, you, know, uh, you know enough to, to answer the question here. But when we talk about the Nephilim, and people have suggested, well, these were, like you said, uh, Satan was involved in this whole scenario with aliens. Are, are, are these, well, what are we to make of aliens and the Nephilim? Is, is this connected or not, or how does this play? Well, you know, so there's a very popular show on uh, the History Channel called Ancient Aliens, mm -hmm. right? And they're constantly speculating about this, that, and the other, right? How, how stuff got started. I would suggest we're just talking about ancient aliens, right? That's, in a, in a nutshell, that the god Enlil, and the various manifestations. These are, these are uh, fallen entities who are very powerful, very intelligent. They have whatever technology, whatever you want to call it, that, that far surpasses any kind of human understanding. Mm -hmm. But they're still created beings, and they're malevolent, right? So when we talk about aliens, we're not to expect that they're gonna, that some really wonderful beings are gonna show up and help humanity take us to the next level. That might be their spiel. But any idea of, of aliens is, is very negative. And there's two guys that I cite in here, um, Dr. Uh, uh, boy, I'm forgetting their names, but that, uh, um, Dr. J Jacob, Dr. Jacobs, uh, he is out of Templeton, Temple University, and he interviewed these people who had an uh, alien abduction experience. Right, mm -hmm. and you know this guy. As far as I know, he's not a believer in God, and he seems to be just kind of a evolutionist or something. He was pretty excited about this. You know, he was excited that that people were having these experiences, and so he interviewed, I think, over two hundred people, all individually. They didn't know each other, but they all had a very similar kind of experience. That it was a malevolent being that came and did some really weird sexual kind of. Experimentation in the case of women, they took eggs. In the case of men, they took uh, sperm. And it's like, wait, if these are aliens, why would they need to travel millions of miles to come to planet Earth to do, you know, secret, weird, kinky mm -hmm. experiments on people if they're that advanced? Well, because they're not. And the conclusion he came to is that these are sort of disembodied spirits that are trying to create some hybridized being. Mm. Uh, so that because they they exist in this this 
semi non the semi material uh, state, and they're trying to materialize, and we're it, right? We're going to be uh, the bodies that mm. they're trying to create. And so now he says that he loathes this whole discussion. It it mm. it scares him. Um, Dr. Mack out of Harvard uh, did very similar experiments, and uh, Harvard tried to you know, discredit him, but after a thorough investigation, they're like, everything you're doing has been above board, it's been scientific, you know, you're not crazy, you're not necessarily believing these things, but you're investigating to see what's happening. And so you have two very prominent, well-established, well-credentialed scientists who are just saying, I'm just trying to understand what's going on. And the bottom line is that it's, it's, uh, it's dark, it's evil, it's demonic, it is not good at all, but they're up to something. And they're really trying to create a, some kind of a hybrid So this, is, this stuff is real. It's, it's not yes. the imaginations of some poor folks who have some mental illness or a chemical imbalance. This, this is real stuff. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, you know, whether people want to believe it, you know, that's of course up to them, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as, is there evidence? Yes. Is there ample testimony? Yes. Mm. I mean, just uh, in the last couple of days, 60 Minutes has come out with, you know, a thing that UFOs are real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's been hidden, but now this is coming out into mm-hmm. the mainstream. That's something pretty amazing. And as believers, I'm assuming we should not be focused on such things. We heard to say, this is not of Yehovah. We need to focus on him and get to what's really important here. Absolutely, you know, it, it's good to have, a, you know, just kind of understand what your enemy's doing, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. But we don't want to fear, we don't want to uh, obsess over these things, right. right? I think it's okay to study, as, as I do, but we don't want to obsess, right? And, and one of the things I really bring out in, in both of these books is that Jesus wins, okay? You know, it, it's okay to understand the, the evil things that the enemy is up to, but focus on the light, focus on Jesus, and what he's doing and how he's going to win and how our relationship with him is ultimately what matters. And know your enemy, but know it's already over. Right. All right, Doug, thank you for joining us today. Would you come back next week? Absolutely. We got lots to cover here yet in your book. We're gonna talk about Nimrod more in, in depth next week. So, all right, so thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. That's how you brought Doug here. We thank you very much. And until next week, we wish you Shufu Atov. Mm-hmm.